It's Thursday, February 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Brendan Matthews and making his Market Foolery debut from Hidden Gems, Andrew Fredrickson. Excited to be here. Excited to have you, my friend. Uh, we're all here because everyone else is in San Diego for a Fool One event, uh, including Chris Hill, enjoying, enjoying the sunshine out there. Uh, we're stuck here in gray old Virginia, but that's okay. We have plenty to talk about today as earnings season continues to roll on. We've got news from GoPro and Duncan. We've also got the Super Bowl right around the corner, which we'll talk about for a bit. But let's begin with the headlines from the big blue chips, Philip Morris and Royal Dutch Shell. Uh, both companies reported earnings this week. Neither was very impressive. Uh, you know, I honestly don't feel the need to dive too deeply into either company because the macro stories, Andrew, uh, for both companies really tell you all you need to know. And we can start with Shell, uh, which didn't do well, obviously, because the oil industry isn't doing well. Is that is that the whole story there? Pretty much. I mean, their profits were down 60% this quarter, and a lot of that just has to do with the oil prices being down. Even more than that, I think they're down 70% now from their peaks. So that's, I mean, when you're looking about like why those earnings are down, it's definitely because of oil. Yeah, and, and, and uh, that's not coming as a surprise. We actually talked about uh, National Oil Well Varco yesterday. It's the same story just across the entire industry. There's nothing you can do about $30 a barrel for oil if you're one of these big uh, industry titans like Shell is. Uh, the one thing Shell does have going for it is that it's promised not to cut its dividends, which I suppose is the play for if you're if you're investing in Shell today, are you just doing it for the dividends? Yeah, I mean, the dividend is definitely nice and it's and it's Encouraging to see that they're not going to be cutting it at least for now. Uh, you know they're they're doing their best to manage expenses, which is really all you can do when when oil is down this low. So you know I think here you're you're just trying to wait out kind of these really super low oil prices and and eventually, sometime in the future it'll turn. <laughs> That's the real question: is is when in the future? Uh, Brendan, what about Philip Morris? What's the story there? I saw that you know Philip Morris is a very internationally focused company these days. Uh, the strong dollar really hurt their earnings. Uh, tell me a little bit more about Philip Morris's situation. Yeah, so we always assume with Philip Morris the the long term trend is <clears throat> declines in smoking, mm. um, but actually. Uh, volume sales of cigarettes were only down 2.4%, while sales were down 11%. And that's really the strong dollar. So they're selling overseas, and when they bring that money back to the US in dollars, it's going to be worth less. Um, I think that that's something that will even out over time. It's, and I think that's why you saw the shares flattish on, mm. on weaker earnings, is investors expect you know, eventually a turnaround in, in um, foreign exchange prices. And this is a company that pays a 4.5% dividend. So, not not too much to worry about immediately. Although maybe 10, 20 years from now, it's a different story. Well, sure, 10, 20 years from now. But I mean, people are still smoking these days. Obviously, at least obviously to me, not in greater numbers. It feels like much like Shell these days. It's tobacco has long been just a dividend play, mm -hmm. uh, especially Philip Morris. Is there any any avenue for growth if you're Philip Morris, or are you just you're cruising along for the next 10, 20 years, and then you say, uh oh. I think that there, the avenue for growth is really the e-cigarettes. Hmm. Um, that's the long-term avenue for growth. But the near-term avenue for growth is higher volumes in emerging market economies. So in more developed economies like Europe, uh, I think people are more health-conscious and they're going to be smoking less. 
Uh, but then also, they're going to probably be paying more for smoking less cigarettes as as Philip Morris raises prices. Right. Makes sense. Okay. Well, that's enough of the blue chips. Let's get down to business. Uh, let's talk about GoPro. Shares of the mobile camera maker dropped to a new all-time low today after the company announced earnings. As a matter of fact, Andrew, shares are down something like 80% in the last 12 months. Yeah, that hurts. <laughs> that hurts a lot. Give us an overview of what the situation is with GoPro. Sure. So they reported earnings that were well, they just weren't good. That's the frank way to put it. <laughs> well, Andrew, you are good at this. Yeah. We have to have you on more often. <laughs> Details. Of Revenue that. was down thirty percent, over thirty percent. They reported a loss, which I think most analysts were expecting them to either be break even or, or even a slight profit. So mm-hmm. it was uh, just a not not a good holiday season for them. Uh, they announced a number of changes to the company, so they're going to be cutting uh, a lot of their models, and we'll be going with just three camera models going forward. Mm-hmm. Their most uh, recent camera, the Hero 4 Session, have they've cut that price in half. It originally was retailing for $400. It's now selling for $200. So I think you're starting to see uh, people questioning whether these action cameras, uh, if it was a fad or if this is something that will continue to grow going forward. Right. And one of the things I'm hearing, Brendan, or at least that I'm reading, uh, is is market saturation. Uh, GoPro uh, really kind of took over this market, at least in the beginning. Uh, nowadays, you have you know drones coming into the market. GoPro has one of those coming out. It's probably not going to come out until late 2016, if then. Uh, but uh, you know, everybody's got a camera on their phone. There are a lot of GoPro competitors that out there now. And the the real issue I see is that GoPro is competing with itself at a certain point. Like Andrew said, uh, uh, with the Hero Four session, uh, they weren't dropping the price necessarily because of competitors. They're dropping the price because no one saw a reason upgrade to upgrade to the Hero Four session from their old GoPro camera. Is there a solution here if you're a GoPro investor? Not, I don't know. Specifically, <laughs> That's the billion dollar question. Specifically, no. I think that there was some talk about them becoming a media company. Right. I, I never really bought into that. I love the product. I'm a GoPro customer. I have the uh, Hero 4. Um, I'm probably not going to buy a new GoPro for a, a couple of years anyway. Um, there it is. Yeah. But one thing that's interesting to me specifically about GoPro, I was at CES um, about a month ago hmm. and I watched uh, CEO Nick Woodman. On stage with the uh, chief business officer or the the head of uh, YouTube, and they were talking about the close relationship that they have as companies. So GoPro really wasn't even their business really took off when YouTube took off because there was a place to share the videos that the cameras were taking. Right, and then also YouTube really benefits from the content that gets captured by these GoPro cameras, and increasingly GoPro is designing very interesting, uh, more sophisticated cameras that can capture essentially things in 3D. So this is a wild speculation on my part, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see Google actually buy GoPro. Wow! So GoPro is a one and a half billion dollar market cap company right now. Google is a five hundred and seven billion, and I think they spent something like twenty five billion on R and D in the last year. Um, I don't think that the, I don't think that Google or Alphabet, as you would call it, would would blink at uh, paying a couple billion dollars to add GoPro. To the powerful platform that is YouTube, right, makes a lot of sense. So then, Andrew, I mean, is that is that the basis for an investment in GoPro right now? Are you betting on Google or some other big company coming along with an acquisition? Are you betting on GoPro's, you know, uh, <coughs> virtual reality ventures, their drone coming out? I mean, it's is are those bets enough for you to make an investment? I definitely think part of it is betting on on a, a company coming in and buying them out. Hmm. Um, 
I guess you could still, you know, part of the reason why the stock was trading at ninety dollars, um, you know, a year ago or whenever that was, was kind of this bet on it being a media company, and and they do have a lot of content, or at least their users are generating a lot of content. I think the tricky part is figuring out how to monetize that. Mm. Um, that's still a long shot, but theoretically, it, it could happen. The way that I look at, you could almost look at an investment in GoPro common shares as basically buying a call option. I don't think that the the existing business as it exists right now is really worth anything. So you're kind of betting on Nick Woodman, this brand, uh, their history of coming up with something new. I don't know necessarily what it would be. Maybe it would be this being taken out. Maybe they're going to come up with maybe the drone's going to really take off. But I would say if I you're See lo- what you did there, drone take off. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go on, keep it going. That was amazing. <laughs> I w- I would just say if you're if you're Buying shares in GoPro, just be aware of the risk you're taking and size your position appropriately. That makes a lot of sense to me. Okay, uh, let's wrap up. Actually, we won't wrap up just yet. We still have to talk Super Bowl, which I'm super excited about. Uh, let's finish off our company discussion with Duncan Brands Group. Uh, they reported earnings earlier today. So so here. What I really didn't like seeing, Andrew, was the, uh, the the drop in U.S. same store sales. So Duncan's been trying to expand across the United States. If you ever actually look at a map of Duncan's locations, you see this huge cluster in the Northeast. Yeah, it's all in one corner. Exactly, and you barely <laughs> see anything out west. Uh, anything past the Mississippi basically is wide open and ready for a Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, yet we're not seeing growth in same store sales sales that have been, or excuse me, stores that have been open at least a year. Uh, are we just going to have to focus on the growth of new? Stores going forward, I think part of it will be. I mean, they still plan on opening up a ton of stores. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think they they said for 2016 they're expecting to open up uh, over 450 stores. So part of it will definitely be uh, growing out that store base. And like you said, right now New England is kind of their home market. Anywhere else in the U.S., there's a lot of opportunity for them. And then on the on the comparable store sale, that's definitely like you said, that was kind of the disappointing aspect of the most recent quarter. Um, you know, there, there's still an opportunity for them to grow there. They're introducing more premium products, espresso-based drinks. Um, when I think Dunkin' Donuts, I think premium products. Hey, in, in ten years, you're gonna be going there to get your cappuccino. <laughs> so Dunkin' is in this interesting space where they're they're in the middle. So they're uh, probably not as premium as Starbucks or or Pete's or Coffee Bean, but they're. A better alternative to say McDonald's or Burger King, so they're trying to hit that sweet. It's a little difficult to hit that sweet spot between having the premium offerings but the right price point to exist between those two competitive sets. Sweet spot. I see what you did there. You're on fire today, Brent Matthews. Keep it going. You actually just mentioned uh, something I wanted to talk about, which is McDonald's, which has been expanding in a big way into the breakfast uh, market. Uh, you know, McDonald's has classically been a lunch and or dinner meal for a lot of people. They've always had the breakfast options, but it, you know, it was always popular. Now, McDonald's is doubling down on that. Suddenly, we're seeing a bit of a slowdown in Dunkin's growth, which is again, Dunkin' is mainly a breakfast sort of company. Uh, is is McDonald's eating their lunch for you know lack of a better pun, or eating their breakfast? There it is. Um, yeah, I think that on the low end, yeah, they're seeing some competition from McDonald's, and I think that's what Andrew's mentioned in terms of uh, more premium hot coffee, so espresso offerings. Uh, they, they've stumbled this year in their food offerings. I think some of their sandwiches haven't really worked out. If they can kind of improve those, so be a little bit better than McDonald's, um, but be a little bit cheaper than Starbucks. I think that they have a pretty good opportunity. Yeah, and this is just one quarter, and, and it's, it's obviously been a warmer winter than than you know 
typical. So I think that's might be part of the reason why you saw the slowdown in comps growth. But you know, if you're still seeing that in next quarter and two, three quarters down the road, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you could definitely start pointing the finger at McDonald's. All right, last but certainly not least, the Super Bowl is this weekend. I'm excited, but what I'm even more excited to talk about is something called the Super Bowl Predictor. Uh, the way this works is there are a lot of market predictors out there. Some of them are, are you know tried and true, <laughs> at least in some people's mind. Some of them are pretty weird. Uh, this is probably one of the weirder ones. Uh, you see, the way the predictor works is a win in the Super Bowl by an NFL team. Uh, so, or excuse me, uh, an NFL from the olden days, from back before 1966 when it was NFL versus AFL. A win by an NFL team is a bullish sign, whereas a win from an AFL team is a bearish sign. So, in this coming Super Bowl, the bullish team is Carolina and the Broncos are actually the Bears. And what's really incredible about this is that the, the predictor has been right about who wins the Super Bowl and how the market will do afterwards for 40 out of the last 49 years. That is an 82% rate uh, for, the NF, or for the Super Bowl predictor. Guys, how is this possible? And Andrew, do you believe in the Super Bowl predictor? Well, I absolutely believe it. Uh, for one, I know I've always hated the New England Patriots, mm. and so since they correlate with a bear market, I now have uh, you know a def- reason, for it. reason for it. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, it's you know, it's it's interesting. It's you know, I guess I don't have too much more to add to it. I mean, it's been I, right for seven out of, or six out of the last seven years, something like that. Right, it's a great predictor. Other than Paul the Paul the Octopus, who had an eighty-five <laughs> percent success rate, um, you know, this is probably right up there with the best bets out there. Okay, Andrew. So if you if you believe that, you're probably going to be pretty um, bullish about the market this year because Carolina is pretty well favored. So it looks like we're going to have an NFL or NFC team win. I think this is just one of those situations where it's fun to look at. It it it's hard to explain on its own, but this is where you have to understand kind of data data mining. Hmm. So if you have a bunch of independent variables, if you have thousands or millions of independent variables out there that have nothing to do with each other. Um, just by coincidence, some are gonna some are gonna match up, and I think it, this is a fun circumstance of this. It's kind of like the I think it's the infinite monkey theory, where if you have enough monkeys banging on typewriters, you'll get the complete works of of Shakespeare. In this case, we've just got a pretty good um, trend of predicting the mark. I mean, I don't 40 think anyone out of forty nine is not monkeys on a typewriter. Sounds like a Broncos fan to me. <laughs> I don't know. I like the accuracy here. So you think Carolina? You think it's going to be a bullish year? Uh, well, I think Carolina is going to win. I, I don't. I, I think. <laughs> I mean, two out of th- three years, the stock market goes up. And actually, I think historically going back, the the NFL has won the Super Bowl significantly more out of the fifty years. How many? How many? How many have they won? Like 35, 40? Well, I guess that just means we've got some more bullish years ahead of us. Then, I, actually, yeah, you're right. Uh, I was looking this up earlier. Pittsburgh has won six times. That's an uh, original NFL team, so that means we've had a lot of bullish years thanks to Pittsburgh. It's really all about the football, guys. Uh, and speaking of which, the Motley Fool Money team uh, will be talking about the business of football on the show this week. That's tomorrow, so be sure to tune in for that. Uh, but for right now, Brendan Matthews, Andrew Fredrickson, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. 
Uh, we have a new website, fool.com slash podcast, where if you wanted to listen to this show again, or you want to catch that Super Bowl or football discussion from Motley Fool Money, uh, you want to listen to Allison Southwick and Robert Brokamp answer your questions, or you just want to listen to David Garner talk about the market, we have a website just for that. That's fool.com slash podcasts. I'd highly recommend checking it out. In the meantime, as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.